Well, my name is Michael. I'm the pastor here, and <clears throat> hopefully your weekend is going well. And uh, oh, what is t- it's an important day tomorrow, I think. Valentine's Day, right? Yeah. So uh, make sure you <clears throat> do something for your special someone in your life, okay? Uh, so my name is Michael. I'm the pastor here. And if you're joining us online, then we're glad you're here. Uh, if you're here in person, then likewise. Uh, really, really excited for you to be here and uh, for us to keep going in our series that we've been in. Uh, so we're in the series, Why? Um, we ask a lot of why questions uh, about life. Why do things happen the way that they do? Um, why do things happen that we don't want to happen? Um, <clears throat> we generally don't ask why when things are going well, right? And so this is a series that's really been kind of dedicated to asking some of those tough questions and then uh, trying to find the answers in Scripture. And, and to be honest, um, this has been a hard one because sometimes we don't always have the answers to those why questions. Uh, but a lot of them are in Scripture. And so that's my hope today that we can answer uh, just a simple one today. Why? Love. So, uh, might have guessed where we're going to be in today. Uh, go ahead and turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, also known as the love chapter. You've probably read it a few times, if I had to guess. Uh, you've probably heard it at a wedding. And so, what a, uh, what a fitting place to hear those words in that place. But this text, as Paul writes it, is really more for the church that's trying to figure out, the church in Corinth, uh, trying to figure out how do they do life together? How do they do ministry? Um, how do they interact in a setting where um, even in the church, there are times when our own uh, selfish hearts, our own desires, the things that we want a certain way. Um, he even mentions that, people who want things a certain way. That's the opposite of how we're supposed to live and act together. So <clears throat> today as we look at these, I want to not just see a list of things to do and not to do, but, uh, but maybe just some signs and some symptoms of where we're at as a church. So why love? Well, there's many ways to love. And so I want to give you a resource too before we get going. Uh, this will be the next slide. Uh, the five love languages. You should see that up there. Uh, the Five Love Languages. If you haven't heard of this before, um, it's a series of books that a guy named Gary Chapman wrote. Uh, it would be really, really great resource for you to, to grab onto, even around Valentine's Day, uh, to figure out uh, maybe where you and your spouse align, where you align with other people. Uh, you have relationships with friends and family. Um, there's a variety of books that really kind of help you. Uh, we read the one for marriage and for uh, little kids. So um, <clears throat> everybody receives love in a different way way. So it's just kind of helpful to know uh, what direction we're going. So maybe <clears throat> for you, you receive love by words of affirmation. When somebody gives you a word of, of encouragement, you're like, man, I can do anything, right? Uh, maybe you love acts of service. Maybe your significant other, they might do something for you or help you with something, and that's how you feel loved. Uh, maybe you like receiving gifts. I mean, who doesn't? right? But some of us, we get more enjoyment out of that. Uh, Maybe for you, it's quality time. You really need to dial in with that person that you care about with some quality time. Uh, Or maybe for you, it's physical touch. Maybe it's just a a pat on the back from a friend who says, good job, man, or I'm praying for you. And so we can all come to this table of whether it be marriage or a relationship with our kids or other family or friends or work or here, and ask, how can we do that well? How can we see other people's needs, and how can we love them unconditionally? And to set the stage for the church in Corinth, <clears throat> this church was uh, a young church. 
it was dealing with a lot of, um, a lot of issues of uh, how do we do ministry well together? How do we, um, you know, how, how do we do the best job that we can? They were very, uh, they were very good at uh, ministry uh, if you were to maybe look at it from the outside. But if you were to look at their inner working, workings, Paul wrote to them a lot about um, how their relationships um, didn't quite match up well, how they were critical of one another, um, how they <clears throat> would get upset with one another and hold grudges. And so um, that's not at all how the church is supposed to interact. And so hopefully you're already there, First Corinthians. Uh, we're going to be jumping into that. Um, and so the first fill in the blank, this is going to be short today probably. Uh, first fill in the blank is going to be worth nothing without love. Worth nothing without love. And so you may have heard the quote before. Um, <clears throat> it came from a few, few different places. Uh, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. And we've heard that before, and that's a good rule of thumb. I, I kind of started looking up, where did that, you know, where did that originate? Um, Alice Roosevelt, who was Teddy Roosevelt's daughter, um, wrote something that was similar to this. Not exactly. It's been kind of changed over time. You'll see this ex- exact line in the Disney movie, Bambi. <clears throat> when uh, Thumper, you remember that guy? Little rabbit, I think that's what he was. So he, he meets uh, this, this new deer, Bambi, and um, he sees him, and he's kind of wobbling around, and he, he says to his mom, who's standing right there, he's kind of wobbly. <laughs> and uh, when Thumper looks at his you know, soon-to-be new best friend, mom you know, <laughs> looks down and, and says, do you not remember what your dad said? And she goes off into this line, if you don't have anything nice to say, you know, don't say anything at all. And so while it might be a good rule of thumb, God's Word has a little bit more to share with us about how we're supposed to treat each other and interact in the family of God. But uh, that's certainly a good one. So verse 1 says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. A clanging cymbal. So we've got a picture of a cymbal up there. You may have heard one of those before. I've seen it in a restaurant. Uh, clanging the cymbal. Well, he says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. So Matthew Henry, who talks about this in verse 1, he says, could a man speak all the languages of the earth that with, great, with the greatest propriety and elegance and fluency? <clears throat> could he talk like an angel, yet be without charity or love? It would be all empty noise, mere unharmonious and useless sound that would neither profit nor delight. Um, so, so why are we here? Why are we doing what we're doing? If we come and we just kind of, we come to church and we like, we check off the box, like I came to church, you know, this week or this month or this year, I came to church, so I did what I was supposed to do. Or I, you know, I helped out in that other volunteer organization. Or, you know, I, you know, I, I helped out with school or a sports event or something related to my kid's school. So, you know, I've done what I'm supposed to do. Well, Paul says here, people in the church were acting in the same way. They thought, if we do these things, then God will be happy with us. But they missed something really important. He says, but have not love. I'm a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. And this word here for love is the word agape. It's this unconditional love, this love that God originally gave to us. So he loved us. There was nothing that we could give to him for what he has done for us. So he not only created us, he, he allowed us to be image bearers, uh, so made in his image, and then he sent Jesus to die on the cross for our sins, and, and we accept that freely. There's nothing that we do to deserve that. And so he loves us 
unconditionally, right? It's a lot like kind of the love that a parent has for a child. There are those many years where you're just like, you're, you're doing everything, you're training your child up, and, and then just over and over again, you're like, at times you feel like, man, do I get anything back from this? Well, that's kind of that same idea of this unconditional love that we extend to others. And God says, well, this is how the church is supposed to interact. Like when people look at us, they're supposed to see this and go, oh, that's what it looks like to belong to a family of faith. <clears throat> so you see in John chapter 13, 35, the same words used, it says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another. So <clears throat> as the world looks in at the church, um, they should not see a people that um, uh, don't like each other or disagree all the time or fight with one another about things that don't matter. Now, that doesn't mean that we can't have conversations and good ones about things that do matter. But when people look from outside and they look at the church, they should go, man, that group of people really care about each other. They really love each other. They may not agree on everything all the time, but they really love each other. And so then here in uh, verse 2, he says, if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. So here as Paul speaks to the church in uh, Corinth, he, he wants them to understand something that uh, as they've come together as this uh, group of believers that's um, different, some of the other churches, they kind of um, bolstered themselves up on uh, pride, whether it was on their uh, position or their authority or their power. They came to the church, and they still walked in kind of with this feeling of, oh, that person, yeah, they're not as good as me, or that person, yeah, they don't know as much as me. So this is why Paul has to say this, if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have faith, so as to remove mountains, <clears throat> but have not love, I am nothing. So, wow, all these things without love equal nothing. If we don't have this agape love, we don't have this unconditional love for one another, then what is everything else worth? God's trying to help us understand something. As we, you know, we think about being around Valentine's Day and going and getting you know, the, the big teddy bears and the flowers and the chocolates, well, our love for one another should be a little bit more than that, shouldn't it? It'd be a love of dedication, a love that's unconditional. And so then in verse 3, he talks about generosity and martyrdom because he's going to go in on this line if people think, who think that they are good enough or they're better than somebody else or that if they could do certain things, then they don't have to worry about love. They don't have to be loving. They don't have to love people that they come in contact with, especially the church. So in verse 3, it says, If I give away all I have... If I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Hmm. Those sound like some pretty serious things, like in the Christian life. Some people will, will maybe give their lives for God. Um, some people will say, well, you know what, this uh, material possession stuff, like it's not all it's cracked up to be. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sell everything I have, and I'm going to give to the poor, and then I'm just going to, I don't know, I'm going to walk to church and live in a cardboard box. I'm not sure. So, uh, so some people will say that, and then they, they will say, well, I am the greatest form of a Christian that you could possibly be, or because I've done these things, then I'm somehow better, and I don't need to worry about that whole love thing. Like, that's not necessary. Uh, but so we see that, and we think, well, that person would probably be doing some good things. What about martyrdom? He even says here, and if I deliver up my body to be burned. Wow. Well, there's, you would say <clears throat> someone's probably pretty serious about their faith. They'd be willing to go to a, be put on a stake and be burned alive 
for it, right? And so this isn't something that Paul's going, hey, it's, it's not that it's unimportant, it's not that it's not a big deal, but if you don't have love, then what is it all for? He says there's this greater love, this agape love that is unconditional. And truly, if we have this, this is going to motivate us to do everything else and do it rightly and actually care about people. Because if we don't have this, <clears throat> Paul's going to say over and over again, he's going to point us in this direction that if we walk in here without love, then everything else that we do, it's going to leave us prideful. It's going to leave us in this place where we, we think that we are somehow better and we don't have to care about anybody else. We don't have to extend that love. But we can't do that. We have to have this love that God has given us. And so that's the first one. Here's the second fill in the blank. Work. <laughs> Worth everything with love. Worth everything. And so this is verses 4 through 7. <clears throat> 4 through 7. And so we'll look at 4 and 5 together. It's really this operation of a church. Um, and most churches have like um, these really thick, like, resource manuals, and like I know we have one here. We've whittled it down quite a bit over the years. Um, so how we're supposed to operate and what we're supposed to do. Well, uh, Paul made a really simple resource manual. He just said, you guys need to love each other. And then uh, everything else, well, that's going to fall into place. It, he, it doesn't mean he says, hey, don't plan. Uh, don't put anything together. Don't have you know uh, groups that meet. Don't have leadership teams. But um, hey, we need to love. We need to do that first. So um, <clears throat> we're kind of just going to see a few things that will help us as the church uh, move in a positive direction. And then some things that we just need to be looking out for, right? In our own lives, in the lives of others that we lead, that we care for. So this is verses 4 and 5. You've probably heard it before. Love is patient. And kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. So Basil the Great, who uh, was a church historian, he said this about this passage. A person living in solitary retirement or confinement will not readily discern his own defects, since he has no one to admonish or correct him with mindfulness and compassion. <clears throat> so what was Paul doing here? Um, he was giving a word of encouragement, but he was also giving a word of warning. He said, love is patient and it's kind. And probably if you read that part, uh, the church there would have been like, yeah, yeah, simple enough. Love is patient. It's kind. You know, we should do those things. Uh, and then he gets to this <clears throat> second part, which is really the things to look out for. Uh, here's what it's not. It's not envious, boastful, arrogant, rude, insisting on its own way, irritable, and resentful. So those are some warning signs, maybe of any relationship, but certainly of the church as we read this. Uh, I was <clears throat> um, just kind of tuning in um, periodically to the Olympics uh, this week, and I don't know how many weeks it's been on, but or how many more weeks it's going to be on, but um, Alana and I, we were watching the snowboarders, and um, there was this guy, uh, I think it was for the Olympic team, he was 40 years old, they said. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and he's up there. He's getting ready to go. And I'm like, you know, yeah, I'm cheering on that guy. And of course, you know, he was at the back, <laughs> at the back the whole time. But I was like, good for you, right? So there's still hope if you want to go to the Olympics. And um, as I continue to think about the Olympics, I read a few articles and um, I came across one that was <clears throat> a little bit troubling when I read it. It talked about athletes that were starting to have a lot of um, psychological issues, mental issues. Um, so ones that, um, if you can imagine, like training for a sport for years, and then <clears throat> you're in this setting where uh, it's the only shot you're going to get, right? Maybe if your whole lifetime to get a gold or silver or bronze medal to represent your country. And um, uh, there was one, one person in particular who was about to have this event the next day. 
And it said that she had like this panic attack before the event the next day. And then as they were filming the event, she crashed a couple of times. And when they were talking to her afterwards, she goes, I just wasn't in the right place mentally. And come to find out, a lot of the athletes were dealing with this leading up to the Olympics because what were they being told? Hey, you know, don't see friends, don't see family, like this is your only shot. And if you get sick, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, if you get sick, then you're done, right? You won't be able to compete. And so you can imagine like the crushing weight alone of just like trying to compete in a sport and like having your country being like, if you don't win, like everybody's going to be, you know, watching it <clears throat> and uh, you're representing. But then on top of that, you know, don't screw this up because if something happens, you don't get to play, like that'll be a lot of wasted time. And so people were dealing with this and, and Paul in <clears throat> a lot of ways, I think was trying to help the church understand that it's really important to care about one another in such a way that we would, we would maybe be, go beyond just the surface level things. Uh, Maybe go beyond just like the, hey, how are you doing today? Oh, good. Okay. Awesome. All right. I will see you next week. Right? Because for some of these athletes, like they didn't have anybody to talk to. I mean, they had at that moment when they were expected to get up there and perform, they were like, I can't do it. Like I know I trained, but I just can't do it. Right? So somebody needs to be there along that person, walk alongside them. And we're supposed to be doing that as the church. So that's why he says, love is patient and kind. And here's all the things that it's not. So here's the signs of a healthy church. We want to kind of write this down underneath that uh, bullet point. Signs <clears throat> of a healthy church. Agape love is patient. Agape love is patient. <clears throat> and in the, uh, in the Greek here, the word here for patience is makrothameo. <clears throat> and it just means to be of a long spirit and not to lose heart. A couple other definitions here found in blueletterbible.com. You can check that out afterwards if you want for patience. Uh, to preserve <clears throat> patiently and bravely in enduring misfortunes and troubles. So how are we supposed to do this? Well, together for one thing, this agape love is patient. That's so long-suffering. And we do this together. We do it unconditionally with one another. And so James <clears throat> 5, 7 through 11 talks about this, this patient endurance that we can have. It says, be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. talks about a farmer. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it <clears throat> until it receives the earth and the late rains. So, and we get that a little bit more, don't we? Like we see, we read things like this about agriculture in the Bible. And um, I think it's lost on a lot of people, but like we drive through, you know, towns around here and we're like, fields of corn and weed and all kinds of different things and uh, animals and <clears throat> we just sort of like, oh, that's just normal. And we read this, we go, man, like, that must have taken a lot of work, right? I don't know if you've been to uh, any farms around here, but if you have, I have, uh, then you'll notice some things. It takes a lot of hard work, doesn't it, to farm the land. It takes a lot of patience. Now, <clears throat> you may see tractors driving down the middle of Elba, or a town that you live in, and that's pretty standard around here. And so you may think, well, it makes it a lot easier. Maybe it does, but it still takes a lot of patience, doesn't it? And so in the same way, God's going, we love each other in the, with this unconditional love that is patient. What is it supposed to manifest as? Patience. So it means when your brother, your sister, and Christ is struggling or they need some help, um, then you're there to help them and be patient and support them, right? And so uh, <clears throat> God gives us another perspective of how to be patient, because he's patient, you know. We, we get impatient about a lot of things. Second Peter 3, 9 talks about this, the Lord's perspective. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, 
but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So God's a patient guy, isn't he? He's a patient God. So what are we supposed to be with each other? Well, patient. Now, you might say, well, that person gets on my nerves. So uh, I really, why should I have to be patient with them? Well, God, he, he fits this blanket statement that we're supposed to love each other unconditionally, and it's supposed to manifest itself in being patient. <clears throat> now, my guess is you probably don't have to be super patient with people that bother you or with don't, that don't bother you, right? But we have to be patient with maybe people that do, maybe people that just need more time and attention, maybe just somebody to talk to. So um, we have to be reminded of that. So <clears throat> patience and then uh, kindness. So this is the second one. Uh, kindness, it's a long word in the Greek, uh, kratsiumeo. Uh, it just means to show oneself mild, to be kind, to use kindness. Um, so... <clears throat> like when people, when people see you coming, they shouldn't be like, oh no, like, <laughs> they're, they're going to they're gonna have something not nice to say, they're going to be mean, like that shouldn't be who we are, right? If somebody sees us like walking down the hallway, they should be like, oh, I'm so glad they're here, like they're going to give me a kind word of an encouragement, and that's what we should be doing for each other, I mean all the time, right? Because we leave this place, and it's just like constant discouragement, like don't get me started. It's like turn on the TV and maybe go to work and like everybody there is negative because of what's going on, which may be understandable. Uh, but here, what should we be? I mean, this place where we can get encouraged and recharged. And so we're patient uh, and then <clears throat> we are kind, right? It's too much unkindness out in the rest of the world, right? So we got to be kind. We got to care about each other, love each other with this patience and this kindness, Okay. And so here's the signs of a sick church. So we got a, a healthy church, and, and God, through Paul, just gives a couple of things. Hey, love, be patient and kind. That'll get you a long way. It'll get you a really long way. And so here's the signs of a sick church, or maybe just a sick individual um, who maybe needs some help. And, um, and we need to be able to see this, right? We need to be walking alongside of each other because we, we typically don't see this uh, on our own a lot of the time, right? Like we act in a particular way, and we just do it without thinking, right? Uh, so we need some help with this, okay? So um, he says this, he uses this word envious or jealous, uh, zelu in the Hebrew and the Greek. It just means to be heated or boil over with envy or hatred or anger, right? Don't look around anybody, okay? <laughs> don't look around anybody. Uh, you boil over, and we all do that from time to time, don't we? We get angry. Some, some things just get, man, they get under our skin a little bit more than others. But we can't be a people who, um, especially when we're together, like we're just like boiling over with anger about everything. Like that's, that's not who we should be. Um, and there's another word here, uh, boastful, uh, to display one's self. Uh, we can't be all about ourselves either. When we, we come here, and we're, we're supposed to be about loving each other, patience and kindness. Um, then, then what happens when we're having conversations? Let me tell you all about me. Let me, let me, let me tell you what, what's going on. No, we, we should be asking those questions. Hey, how are you doing? What's going on with you? And what's going on in your world? How can I be praying for you? <clears throat> Here's another one, boastful, uh, to display one's self. Or arrogant. Uh, this word for arrogant is to be... Um, puffed up. It's actually interesting. It's only it's only used in First Corinthians. Well, six of the seven times found in the New Testament is in First Corinthians. I'll read a few of them for us about being arrogant. I know some of you are like, I'm not arrogant. I'm not. First <clears throat> Corinthians four six says, I have a, a, applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. So 
Um, that somebody might be, you might think, that person's right, so I'm going to go with them. Paul says, uh, don't be puffed up with that. Don't be puffed up with arrogance or pride. Uh, 1 Corinthians 4.18 says, some are arrogant, as though I were not coming to you. <laughs> so, so Paul, he's like, he goes on all these missionary journeys, and he helps start these churches, and his plan is to come back to a lot of these churches. And so um, here he tells the church, he goes, you guys are acting like I'm, <laughs> I'm not going to show up one day, and they'd be like, what are you guys doing? <laughs> Like, what is going on? And Paul would do that from time to time. He'd stop somewhere, and, and he'd be like, what did, what did I teach you from the beginning? Like, what, what's going on? So he says, you're acting like I'm, I'm not going to show up. First uh, Corinthians four nineteen says, but I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills, and I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. And then in First Corinthians 5, 2, he says, and you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. Uh, the church in Corinth, they were dealing with a lot of really, really bad stuff. Like if we were to look at some of like the list of things like they were struggling with just, you know, just sin-wise, uh, we would be like, okay, that, that's like obviously bad. So what was the deal? Why didn't they get that? Well, their, their wicked hearts were blinded. And so Paul, he's telling him, he goes, and he, are, you, are you arrogant? You're not arrogant? Ought you not rather to mourn? They were, they were celebrating some of the things they were practicing from a sinful perspective. So sometimes we just need that outward perspective, right? We can't be arrogant. First uh, Corinthians 8, 1 says, Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up or makes arrogant, but love builds up. So what are, what are we supposed to be about? Not, not being arrogant, not thinking we, we know everything or um, can, can always give direction, but here Paul is going, hey, we, we cannot be about this. We've got to be about love first, like loving correction, which it gives to the church. And he uses this word here for rude, right? A lot of people like that word, you know, rude. I don't like when people are rude to me. <laughs> you probably don't either. Uh, and so it, here it just means to act unbecoming or inappropriately. Now, sometimes when we read this, we go, yeah, yeah, people shouldn't be rude. Or when somebody outside of the family of faith does something and we're like, that was rude. Like, that was inappropriate. Like, I don't like you. I don't want to be around you. We should, in this context, yes, we should expect people to act in a certain way, to love each other unconditionally, be patient and kind, and to not be rude to one another. But when we walk into those outside settings, I think sometimes we, we get in this place where we start getting judgy, like of people who don't even know God, like or aren't invested in a church. And we go like, they should, man, that was bad. They should know better. Well, how would they? right? If they're not a part of a family of faith. So it's a difficult thing to do, right? To be in the church, to be loved by this family of faith, and then to go out into the world. And and it's a whole other place, isn't it, right? As As we live and work and serve, we have to expect things not to go the way they would here in our church context, right? Here as we do things together. And when they don't, we just go, Man, I really, I really need to be an example to that person, right? I need to communicate the love that God has given me, and be an example, right? So we can't, we can't be those who, when we see that outside, and we go, "You shouldn't be doing that." Here's what the Bible says. Well, it really is talking about us in the context of our faith family. Um, and then he says here, uh, wanting things their own way. Who wants things their own way? Uh, yeah, if we were to be honest, we would probably say, I kind of do want things my own way, like at least part of the time, right? Uh, when we come together as the church, we're supposed to go, okay, what's the best thing for the church? What does God want us to do? And, and I can almost guarantee there's, there's been many times where I go like, this may be what I want, but here's what we should do, right? And that takes a lot of careful prayer and diligence and planning, 
and not just going like, uh, yeah, let's just do whatever we want. <laughs> um, that's not the perspective that we take as the church, as the leadership team, the deacons, when we get together. A lot of times we go, well, here's what we might want to do. But what does God want us to do together as the church? So I'm thankful for those guys. Uh, you, you may have heard the slogan before too, um, have it your way. It's a pretty old one. It actually was coined by Burger King in 1974 uh, when they realized McDonald's is doing really well. <laughs> we have to come up with something um, that people can latch on to. And you guys know like a slogan sometimes, if it's good enough, can overpower pe- other people's food preferences, right? I mean, you know what I mean? If we, like we hear something and it's like, uh, oh, I like that. I like that slogan. Like I can have it. Wait, wait, I can have it my way. <laughs> I can go to that place and they'll do whatever I want. Man, that sounds like a place I want to be. Well, um, they they seem to done okay, done okay with that uh, that statement, uh, but that's not how we're supposed to be, right? Everything our way. That's certainly what the rest of the world says. When you leave this place, it's like you can have whatever way you want. Um, but here in the church, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to be considerate of others, not necessarily going, "I want it my way." It's my way or the highway. That's it. Uh, what about being irritable? Well, here in the Greek, the word paroxino uh, means to be easily provoked, right? Um, you know how that is. I mean, don't look at anybody, right? In the room, I know maybe you know, you're thinking of somebody. Uh, you're walking around like carefully around them, right? They're irritable. You're going, I don't want to upset them. Well, um, uh, Paul's trying to say, he goes, hey, that really isn't the way that it should be like. When we're together as the family of faith, we should be unconditionally loving each other, being patient and kind. We shouldn't be like, somebody says something we don't like, or like they, you know, I mean, goodness, they would say something we don't agree with. <laughs> you're, you're not my friend anymore. Or I don't, I don't, you come to this church and you think that, that's not how we should be like, right? We should be patient and kind and not irritable, like, you know, waiting to, waiting to snap at somebody, right? So <clears throat> Paul says, isn't the way that it should be. We should be kind to everyone, especially in our church setting. Um, <clears throat> you know, I love that. It's like we have, a, we have several older saints here in our church who, who love God and been doing it a long time, and I'm like, nothing seems to bother them. <laughs> like, why is it the case? Like, I love Esther. She sits behind us, and um, uh, I'm just kind of talking about what's going on, especially when things with COVID first started, and nothing seemed to bother her about that. <laughs> and I was just going like, man, if we could just, you know, we could all be like that, man. So not being irritable, not, not just like waiting for something to rub you the wrong way, right? Uh, so here's the last thing, being resentful. And truly, um, church, I've seen being resentful and harboring resentment do a whole lot of damage in churches. Uh, we can look at this other list and go like, yeah, yeah okay, those are good like, things we should do. Like, don't be irritable and don't be rude, Okay. But being resentful, man, that can, that can do a lot of damage. Sometimes we hear something or somebody says something to us or they do something in the church especially. And Satan's just waiting for opportunities, right? He's just like twiddling his, his thumbs, right? He's, he's going, when is that, that one thing that's going to happen? It's going to rub that other person the wrong way, and then I'm going to make sure they just gonna whisper in their ear and go, hey, that wasn't very nice. Like, they must not be a kind person. They... But what do they think about you? So, <clears throat> and our minds run with those things, don't they? So, we shouldn't be resentful. Uh, and what it literally means here, <clears throat> it's actually a phrase, and I don't, I don't know exactly how the translators like got it into this one word, but in the Greek, it's lagazome ho keikos, and <clears throat> it's all these words in the Greek. It, it just means take takes into account a wrong suffered. So like literally when something happens and you don't like it, you're like, 
Oh, I'm writing that one down. I'm going to put it here, and I'm not going to forget that you did that, right? Being resentful, man, it does so much damage, doesn't it? Like we, we write these things down on a ledger. Sometimes it's like on stone, right? It's not a piece of paper that we can like, at the end of the day, we're like, okay, God, I know I'm not that big of a deal. Throw in the trash, right? But we, we become resentful about things, and man, that, that does a whole lot more damage to the church than anything else, right? Um, so and, I've, and I've seen it, right? I've seen it firsthand. Been in a few different churches, and, um, and I, I want to just ask us to pray and you know, just uh, guard our hearts. You know? As you're thinking about this, as you leave this place, um, don't allow those things. You know, maybe even when you have something, it's like it's been in the pocket for a long time, and, um, and you just can't let it go. I would say uh, ask for the Lord's help. Uh, with some victory. I've certainly been praying for you uh, this morning about that. If there was anything resentful, if there was anything that um, Satan would try to use as a foothold, that we would just go, no, you can't have it. I'm going to throw that one in the trash before it even turns into something else, okay? And then we jump to, jump to verse 6. So we got that kind of that list. You can close out that section. So maybe things to do, things not to do, or things to be aware of, how we should act and should not, some warning signs. And in verse 6, it says, it does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with truth. Um, and man, the church in Corinth, they, um, they had this habit of rejoicing and doing things that were wrong. And Paul was like, do you guys not get it? Like, you can't, you can't be happy about doing things that the Bible specifically says is wrong, things that the apostles have taught you about that are wrong. It says you celebrate those things, but rejoices with truth. Sometimes truth is hard to hear, right? Sometimes the, the truth, things that we can maybe even get resentful about when somebody tells us the truth. Maybe it's an a area of our lives that you know, we need to work on. And somebody who's a part of our family of faith, maybe somebody you trust comes to you, hey, there's this thing that like, I've been praying for you on, and um, man, I'm, I'm here to help if you need it. And we have to go in that moment, let me rejoice. Let me rejoice in truth, because that's what matters more than, especially more than rejoicing in wrongdoing. He's like, this isn't how we should operate. And then verse 7, love, what does it do? It bears all things, believes all things, it hopes all things, and endures all things. And I won't spend a lot of time here, but um, what can we do when we have love? We can do anything, right? I can only imagine, I mean, some of those uh, athletes at the Olympics, if they had said somebody, if they had even a couple of people, maybe some more family members, friends who were around them kind of during that time when they were like training and they were going into that setting, it's one thing to send a text message, right? It's one thing to get on video, but it's a different thing to be with somebody and put your arm around them and go, I love you. I'm here for you, isn't it? Maybe things would have been a little bit different. A few less falls, a few less people who quit before they really ever started. And I hope that's not us. I hope that we can come into this place and uh, be able to love unconditionally, be kind and patient. And we certainly won't do it perfectly all the time. I know I don't. Um, but I want to ask for your help, you know, as we do it together. We, we think about Valentine's Day, like, oh, it's just a fun, you know, fun time. We weren't really expecting, like, the seriousness of, you know, the love that God gives us, how we're supposed to act. I'll leave you with um, one other quote, and I'll close out with something else. Um, Ambrose, a church father, he said, a man with this charity or love fears nothing. Love casts out fear. Now, there's a lot of things that have been difficult in this season, right? There's a lot of things that have been hard for us, but what does love do for us? Well, there's nothing that we can't do. We can't overcome without it. 
And what Ambrose said here, I think it rings true for us, this love, what well, casts out fear, right? Uh, what do we have to be fearful about? Well, the world would say a lot of things, right? But this love that we've been given, this unconditional love, it casts out fear. God gives it to us, and he gives it to us for a reason, because <laughs> what do we do? I mean, we, we, we take thoughts and we run with things that aren't even true a lot of the time, the way that people feel about us or, or treat us that a lot of times aren't even true. And we just go, and if we could just have that love for each other that overcomes all those things. Even somebody says something, we don't take that tool of resentment and, and write it down and put it away. We just say, no, no, I got this unconditional love for everybody. It's patient and it's kind. And so I'll close with this. I, I've used this illustration before, um, one time before, I think. Um, it's, this, it's a book. It's a children's book, Love You Forever. Um, it's uh, one of our favorite at our house. Um, and maybe you've had it in your family for a while, too. But the tagline goes like this. I love you forever. I like you for always. As long as I'm living, my baby, you'll be. And so it's really kind of a cool story, but it was born, it was born out of uh, a lot of heartache for Robert Munch. Um, he, he wrote this many years ago, but didn't end up writing down the words um, until 1995. Uh, and uh, it was because his family experienced two stillbirths. His wife um, gave birth to two children that um, never breathed. And um, so as he, he was trying to put those things down and write them down, it was too painful. And years later, he wrote them down. He put them into this book, and, and now they're a part of these colorful illustrations that we see all the time. But throughout the book, it points to this love like that surpasses a lot of things. It surpasses time and generations, and it's there uh, whether things are going good or whether things are going bad. And in the same way, Paul, Paul he didn't put this love out there. God, through Paul, didn't put this love out there and say, be patient and kind when you feel like it, right? And we could all use that in our marriages, in our relationship with our kids, with other family members. We go to work, but we need it here more than anywhere else. Like, if we can't do it here, then we definitely can't do it anywhere else. And so Paul says, hey, you got to get, you got to get some things right, right off the bat. So it's worth nothing without love. Like, we can't, <laughs> We can't do anything. We can try, but it's not going to work super well. And then it's worth everything with love. God's given us all these opportunities, this ministry, things to accomplish, and we get in the way sometimes, right? We get bitter, resentful. We get rude. And so God says, hey, he reminds the church in Corinth. As Paul's writing to him, he goes, I love you. God's got this unconditional love for you, so let's have this love for one another. Let's be patient and kind and, um, and do this together. Now, we're not going to be perfect, right? Um, Maybe somebody's already done something to upset somebody else in the room. Hopefully not. Um, but as we hear these things, let's just be about that. Love and patience and kindness. And, um, and let's apply it to more than just the one area we think of all the time and just marriage. Let's use it for the church too, okay? Um, so maybe, I don't know, maybe you're here today. You're listening online. You're here in person and um, you've never made like this first time decision to put your faith and trust in Jesus. And so what I'd I'd like to do is just give you that opportunity. The Bible tells us if we admit that we're sinners, we believe that Jesus is God's son, that he came, and he lived a sinless life, and he died on the cross for us, uh, then we can have eternal life. And the last thing, see, confess with our mouths that Jesus is the Lord of our lives. The scripture tell us, tells us that we'll be saved. Um, and so if that's you and you're just like, I've never experienced that uh, agape love, that unconditional love from God, and I, I don't even know what it looks like to love other people like that, uh, never experienced that, then maybe today's the day to do that. Uh, feel free to reach out to us online if that's you, or if you're here in person, uh, then I'd be glad to talk to you about that uh, before you head out, okay? Now let me pray for us, and we'll close. Uh, Father, we um, thank you um, for this um, 
time to be here. Um, this season, although it's been difficult, we pray uh, for your help. Um, God, we, we need it. Uh, we get in the way uh, a lot of the times. Um, God, we, it's easy for us to be um, boastful or resentful. Um, God, to be all about ourselves, to want things our way. Um, I pray that you would help us to live and operate, um, especially in the church, in a certain way that would allow us to love others unconditionally, um, that would allow us to be patient and kind. God, it, you know, it doesn't seem like a long list that Paul gives for a healthy church, but um, God, I pray that we wouldn't forget that, um, that maybe it's not that hard to be patient and to be kind, um, and God, to throw all these other things to the wayside. Let us not take... Um, note. Let us not take to heart things that are hurtful at times. Um, Help us to be those who can um, let things go, Um, God, that we would be patient and forgiving, kind in everything that you've given to us. And uh, it's your name we pray. Amen. Uh, Love you, church. Have a a great Valentine's Day tomorrow.